ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. Ron and Anian. So here's the deal, Walt. You got your wiring diagram in front of you by chance? Yes, I do. Okay, look at the wiring diagram. If I recall correctly, about middle of the page, they talk about the central control module. Who dares enter the sacred and awesome presence of the everlasting know-it-all? The car doctor. It's got to work from the left input. If it doesn't work from the left input and you've proved everything else to work, then you've got a bad control module. Ludicrous speed. Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, Ludicrous Speed! Here's Ronnie. And may the Schwartz be with you. We are going to take away your editing machine. Hello and welcome. Ron and and the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Tom Ray, you're going to be banned from the edit room. Um, but uh, we love you the way you do that each and every week. Thank you very much. Some great stuff. This is The Car Doctor. This is Ron and and The Car Doctor. Let me be specific. 855-560-9900. Is 24-7. Did I say that slow enough? 855-560-9900. That number, as you probably well know, is 24-7. It also has the ability when we're not on the air. We are live out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, you must know by now that 855-560-9900 is 24-7. It will leave a message, or you can leave a message if we're not here, which we're not, um, other than 2 and 4 p.m., um, you can leave a message, and Tom Ray, our illustrious producer, will get back to you and talk to you about your car problem and uh, help you solve it by getting you up here on air with me, and uh, we'll figure it out. After 43 years of fixing cars, you know what? i got to have an answer for you, um, 26 of them here on radio. So uh, we enjoy doing that each and every week, and uh, by the way, we're glad to have you here with us, and uh, we love counting you as part of the Car Doctor audience. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Also podcasting at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, and if you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. A couple of comments as uh, we kick off this hour of the Car Doctor. Um, I, I want to talk about coupons. I want to I want to answer an email for Walt out in Hawaii because I know Walt listens this hour out there, um, you know, Hawaiian time. And um, I, I just want to tell you a story from the shop. I think auto repair is about boundaries. All right. But, you know, life is about boundaries. You know, we're, we're, we're looking to establish clear cut boundaries and it helps us live better. It helps us survive and, and, and get through our day to day. Tuesday. Gary pulled in. I'd never met Gary before. Nice enough guy. Straight shooter, it seemed like, but just, you know, kind of marched to his own drummer. And he had a 2008 Explorer that I heard him pulling into the parking lot, and it it, it sounded like, for lack of the, a better way to put it, I could just hear the theme to Sanford and Son playing in my head, you know, because it had a creak in it, like a... It sounded like two pieces of metal tearing. And he's driving this vehicle. So I watched him. He kind of went down to the end, and he, he, he came around, and, you know, he pulled up in front of the doors, and he got out, and he introduced himself, and, you know, nice enough guy, and we had the whole conversation, and he said, you know, I've got this noise. I said, well, how long have you had it? And he said, well, you know, a couple of three, four months, and my mechanics worked on it, and, you know, and I said, well, 
you know, what's he done? And he said, well, well, I, I asked him to do this and I asked him to do that, but, you know, he hasn't been able to figure it out, which is why I tell him what to do. And I figure, you know, since I worked on cars back in the 70s, hang on a second. So you don't work on cars anymore, and you think what you're doing from the 70s qualifies you? Well, yeah, it's just a noise. How hard could it be? I said, well, evidently it's got to be pretty hard. Your mechanic can't figure it out. And he said, well, you know, my mechanic's Korean. Wait for it. And I'm saying, okay, so your mechanic's Korean. What, what, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? I don't know if I can say that. But, you know, he said... He said, well, he said, you know, he, he doesn't really speak great English, and it's kind of hard to communicate with him. So I'm kind of, now I've really, he's really got my attention now, and I'm thinking, all right, so, you know, he's telling me how his mechanic doesn't really speak English, and he's trying to, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And he said, I said, well, then I don't get it. He goes, well, he says, you know, I go in and I ask him to change this tire and he changes the other tire and I ask him to put brakes on it. And instead he puts a water pump on it because he thinks that's worse. And he's trying to spend my money for me. And I said, how long have you been going to this guy? 12 years. Real. And, you know, I'm not making this up. All right. I mean, this is like really what goes on. And I said to him, I said, you know, how can that be? I said, you know, did you ever have kids? You ever tell your kids to clean their room? Yeah. And I said, what happened when they didn't? He goes, well, then I went up and I cleaned it for him. And I said, well, that's the problem. You don't have any boundaries here, buddy. You know, it's, and then he's just, he says, but I'm waiting. I know he's going to get it right one of these days. I said, yeah, I'll be dead and you'll be retired. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's just, what's the point? You know, it's, it's cause and effect. Auto repair is a cause and effect business. All right. The mechanic's got to fix it. He fixes it, he gets paid. He doesn't fix it, he doesn't get paid. You prevent him from fixing it, he gets paid. But And, and think about what I said there. You know, if he's trying, if he's doing what he's supposed to do, if he's doing his due diligence and he's applying procedure, he's entitled. But here's a case where the mechanic's doing whatever he wants. The vehicle sounds worse by the minute to the point that I'd be afraid to drive in this car. I'd be afraid to be driving next to this car. And... It really came back to, and I I couldn't help but think, I wonder how many people are like this, and I want to talk about this on air to bring it to the public's attention. He then asked me, he said, so if I bring it to you, what do you charge per hour? I said, it doesn't matter. I said, I might fix it in 15 minutes. It might take me two days. I've got to diagnose it. Well, what will that cost? And I said, well, you know, we're, we're a little over $100 an hour. $100 an hour? He says, I'm in construction. I'm $80 an hour. And I looked at him and I said, and, you know, I guess my, you know, my, my nonsense filter is off because I'm getting older now. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, but, you know, you're in construction. You're using the tools your father gave you. You, you know, my tools are in the dumpster because I threw them out on Monday and I had to buy all new ones on Tuesday. This is auto repair. This is a very different business. I said, the labor rate's insignificant. I said, the technology is insurmountable. And that's what you have to realize when you're, when you're picking a mechanic. Okay, well, I'll let you know. You know, I'm not holding my breath. And the point of this is, how many of you do that? How many of you are going in? Are you shopping price on auto repair? You can't do that. You've got to shop on competency level. You've got to shop on the technology. How is the shop equipped? He even walked through the shop. I took him through the shop. I kind of give everybody the tour, and he, I don't really say much, and they walk through the shop, and they go, he's, wow, you really have a lot of technology in this building. Yep, 
and it changes every week, every week. All right, you don't want to know what we spend in this building to just maintain, to, just to work on cars, as I say it. We're just working on cars. We put forty-two hundred dollars into the tire machine this week. Did I tell you the story yet? We spent four grand on the tire machine this year. It's, it's a Hunter TC thirty-five, and we added the extension arm with the hydraulic ram and a set of adapters and cones to do the newer run flats and some of the harder, lower profile tires. And you know, you sit there and you say to yourself, how how soon before you make that money back? All right. I mean, round it off to four grand. Four grand if you charge fifty dollars a tire, and you're not. But you know, start doing the math, and then some of that fifty dollars a tire has to go towards the general overhead in the first place. So, auto repair is not a cheap business. It's it's not a cheap thing to practice. And believe me, we're not practicing. We're doing it each and every day. Gary left. Uh, get back to the original story and the original comments. And I don't know that I'll see him, and I don't know that I care. But the point becomes, I hope you learn something from this. I hope if I can take one listener out there and get them to say, you know, I've got to stop thinking how cheap. I've got to start thinking how right, because that's really what it's about. You get what you pay for. And in auto repair, it's getting more and more apparent each and every day. I'll close this segment out with this. Local trans builder, uh, local trans shop, is um, running an oil change special. And I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of laughing. Part of me is just chuckling because they're going to do a twenty-one dollar and ninety-five cent oil change, and this is a place that's been around for forty years, and they're now branching out into doing all sorts of automotive work instead of just transmissions. They're going to do brakes and suspension and exhaust and tune-ups, as the postcard says, um, air conditioning and cooling, tires and wheels, and they're getting in the game late. And my point is, this is a sign of the beginning of the end. A business that survives or tries to survive on coupons is a business that is in danger of failing, especially in auto repair, because you can't work cheap in auto repair. On the other side of it, if you, the consumer, think that coupons actually work in auto repair long term, you've got to adjust your thinking. You're not trying to watch a cheap baseball game. You want to watch a good baseball game. You want to go to the team that's loaded with talent and not necessarily worried about cost, because worried about cost usually puts you on the side of the road somewhere along the way. 855-560-9900, Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Jerry in Carthage, New York, 05 Dodge Caravan. Jerry, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, hello, thank you. Yes, I've got an 05 Caravan 3.8. Okay. Grand Caravan that has an extended crank time on it. All right. If the weather is real cold, say sub-zero, it fires right up. But otherwise, it's slow. I'm sorry, a start problem. It cranks fine. It will not run. Okay. After it cranks and cranks. So it's a long crank time. Yes. It's a longer yes. than normal crank time. Um, so we have something. Exactly. To, so we have. So we have something to work around a, a baseline. You know, if if normal crank to start time is two to four seconds, maybe this cranks eight to ten seconds. Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes, definitely. All right. So when it when it goes, so this time of year it's probably it's probably doing that particular problem, right? Extended crank time. Yes, and if it sets a while, maybe 20 minutes or so, then it's just as bad, yes, or worse. All right. So has anybody tried to diagnose it? 
Yes, I'm I'm an old mechanic. All right, and what have you come up with? What sort of diagnostic routine have you been through? Well, first of all, the spark plug gaps were very wide, and I've changed the plugs twice. I have uh, checked the fuel pressure. I've checked compression on the front three cylinders, and it fired up that day on the rear three with the plugs out of the front. I've cleaned the throttle body. I've put uh, cleaner through the uh, gas tank maybe three times. I've changed the throttle body. I've changed the heated air intake sensor. I've changed the map sensor. Okay. So uh, any it, any scan it tool? Scans can- number, yes, it scans number one misfire and also multiple. That number one seems to be a canalizing one. Okay, but how does it run? Does it run okay? It runs like a it runs like a scared rabbit. There's no there's no fuel problem that I can detect on the highway. I didn't detect fuel leakage when I checked the pressure. I uh, thought maybe that was the issue, but no. It, I think the engine is getting too much fuel. All right. I've worked on carburetors and, and and other cars, and when it fires up, it smells. All right. It's like the engine, the injectors are pumping too much fuel. All right. So, Jerry, let me ask you this question. What kind of scan tool are you using? I'm using an Actron. All right. Can you read data stream with it? Yes, I can read data stream. All right. Have you looked at fuel trim? Yes, and I don't know for sure. It's been a while since I've checked it. Well, uh, I think it's anything excessive. Uh, maybe three to five, plus, minus? Short and long term. I believe so. Okay. I, so, I'm sorry. I'm not up to date on the fuel stuff. No, it's okay. So, listen, let's let's start at the beginning, all right? Um, I like the idea of checking fuel pressure. I also want to know volume, all right? When you, hook, when you hook the fuel pressure gauge up, did you happen to do the Snapple bottle test where you, with the engine running, hit the release button and, and fill a small Snapple bottle in under 30 seconds? Did you try that? No, I didn't. This okay. engine's a difficult engine. You've got to tie into the fuel system if you're familiar with it. Yeah. And you don't have a Schrader valve, so it's a kind of a pain in the neck to attach a fuel gauge to right. it. You got to clamp into the system in the yeah. fuel rail. No, I understand. Um, you know, but like I like I always say, the difficulty doesn't determine how I run my diagnosis. I've still got to go and check fuel pressure. Three things in fuel pressure, and then you can stop worrying about it: pressure, volume, and how clean's the fuel sample coming out of the tank. All right. Because uh, we could sit here and conjecture, okay. you know, we could sit here and say, nah, it's not that, and we could do this all day long. But, you know, if we're going to be diagnosing, that's those are the three things I care about. All right. I'm also concerned. I also want to see, you know, when you check fuel pressure, was it after the vehicle started or while you were cranking? I had it on for a series of starts, and uh, I had it sitting outside my garage, and I, I, had, I had the gauge on it for several hours, and I'd restart it, watch the gauge restart it. It didn't seem like I had a significant fuel loss problem. I believe the okay. pressure on this engine is somewhere around 60 pounds. It looked, it looked like by the readings it was okay. And, again, this engine does not suffer for power on the highway. Right, and, and you're not experiencing any great residual pressure drop in between shutting it off and restarting. You know. no, no, that's what I was looking for. No, yeah. no, the pressure. I didn't let it set overnight. 
that's one one test I haven't made is an overnight test. Well, and I think you know what you know. Typically, I'll see you know twenty minutes to an hour. After an hour, I'll usually see the fuel pressure drain off. But you know, when I hit the key, I'm looking for bang right back up. All right, it's 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 got to be instantaneous. Yes, yes, it recovered. It recovered completely. And I've tried cycling the switch in the morning. That doesn't help at all. Okay. So how about the, How about tomorrow morning? You go out there when it's cold. Turn the key on, but don't start it. And with your scan tool, look at intake air temp and coolant temp sensors. Let's see if they, they've they've got to be within ten degrees of each other. Usually. Depending upon the weather, this time of year, you're probably going to see closer, more like 5 degrees. Is one of them lying? You know, if intake air temp is telling you it's 20 degrees out and it's 85 degrees, then we've got a problem, and it's going to, it's going to affect how that vehicle is going to fire. All right? I mean, I can appreciate... Okay, appre- what? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Pardon me for interrupting. No, go ahead. I, 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 did, have a, I did have a scan by a more up-to-date act scanner and that scanner thinks my uh, TPS is high okay so the throttle plate is a little open how's the idle speed the idle speed is fine okay so here's the here's the deal like that I said, I, well that generation that generation 38 okay if you take the air intake duct off and look at the throttle plate you know closed is closed yeah. you want it just just cracked off idle, just to the point where it doesn't stick in the bore. All right? You want to go a touch more? You can go a touch more on that final set screw. It's not going to affect the whole heck of a lot. There's still a cable going up to this vehicle, right? This is not drive-by-wire. This is a cable. This is a throttle cable car? Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's two cables. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. one's cruise, one's right, or one's kicked down. It's not going to affect a whole lot. All right? Where I'd be looking is I'd be looking at inputs. Something's askew before you even turn the key. All right, it's missing something. Okay. All right. Um, I would also be considerate of and think about cam sensor faults. Although it should set a fault code, this might be a case where someone's going to need to hook up a scope and look at cam crank sensor sync, meaning. Does the crank sensor trigger at the right moment in relation to piston crank location, as well as does the cam sensor line up with the crank sensor, telling it that everything's in time and the sequence is is occurring at the right moments? A couple of things for you to look at, Jerry. Get a look at those. Give me a call back next week. We can get into it a little deeper. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and the car doctor rolling along here at 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Bill Brighton, Michigan, 08 Chevy Impala. Bill, welcome back to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you, Ron. Uh, 2008 Impala with 49,000 miles. Car is nine years old and out of an abundance of caution. I'd like to remove the spark plugs and either anti-seize them or change them. Okay. Um, wanted to get your opinion on the um, spark plug wires. Should those be changed given the age? Yeah, I would. Um, you okay, know, and, and, and chances are you're probably going to break one or two of them anyway. And, I imagine you know, and, and at this point in the game, the car is the car is you know nine years old, um, right. a lot of heat under the hood. Uh, yep. You know, at 
this particular point, I'd be thrilled that I could still get a good quality set, Delco, whoever you're going to use. And, yeah, that it would be, I see them. Right, and, you know, because the car companies are going to change things on us, Bill. I've, I've come to that conclusion. I've watched them do it, you know, each and every year, that if they can save two cents and change a vendor and change the quality of something, and, yeah, it's not as good as, you know, it once was, then we'll do that. Uh, you know, because they're not interested in really maintaining you, keeping that car running forever. They want you to come back and buy another one. Uh, Amen. You know. uh, question, that should be done on a cold engine run? Yeah, I'd like to. I would like to. Okay. And I probably right, wouldn't no. I probably wouldn't use anti-seize. Let me just say this to you. Oh, really? I, I used to be a big anti-seize guy. And okay. I'm telling you, I just I feel like they have changed the formulation of anti-seize over the years. And it's now it's to the point that when I remove something that was anti-seize, it's very dry and dusty. There's it's like they put too much glass in the mixture. And it, it, it seems to me, either that I'm going to use a very, very, very small coating. What I've done in, in the last couple of four or five years, I've gone back to the old way of I just put a drop of engine oil on the threads. A drop, a drop of engine oil, I hand torque them, and, or, you know, I, I snug them, I don't kill them. And, right. you know, it just makes life easier. And obviously, I know you know this, but for everyone else's benefit, don't forget to dielectric grease the boots on the spark plug wires. You know, to help Amen. with removal. A question yeah. on uh, throttle body cleaning yeah. on this. This is a drive-by-wire vehicle. Uh, key should be in the on position and press on the accelerator to open the blade. You can. You can also key off, just, you know, open the blade by hand. It's not going to hurt anything. And just okay. scrub around in there and clean it. And, you know, if you end up with an idle issue, uh, I'm not saying you will, you won't, but, you know, it's easy enough to reset. I would do a disconnect the battery, and, you know, I would do a 10-ohm, 1-watt, resistor wire across the positive negative battery terminals battery you know battery cables off the battery and bleed out the computer memory for 10 minutes and let it re you know learn where it's at um you know and you should be just fine but uh you know yeah i would do that and i would if you've got a way to do some kind of induction cleaning you know and and, 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 and clean you know the injectors and um obviously some fuel system cleaner in the tank great time to be doing that we we really like the berryman stuff if you've got an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you, get out get out to O'Reilly Auto Parts and get a bottle of Berryman and throw that in the tank, and um, you know you should be well on your way. And that's that's normal maintenance. You know this is this is maintenance at this point, and I I, I commend you, Bill, because most people would wait for the hundred thousand mile mark to change those spark plugs, and then they'd be saying, "Gee, the plugs are stuck in the head because it's you know, it took you nine years to go fifty thousand miles, so in another nine years, let's see, the car will be almost twenty years old. Hey, I can't get the plugs out of the head." <laughs> Yeah, the only thing I've had to do so far, Ron, is a coolant system uh, flush and um, thermostat. Right. And, uh, I do that about every five years just yeah. to be on the safe side. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, and the problem is it's not that the plugs are worn out. It's the, right. the additives in the gasoline today are constantly changing, and that's what's going to affect it, number one. And number two, it's the porcelain. The porcelain is getting brittle. It's, it's getting hot. The, the wires are getting brittle. The wires aren't sealing as well. And all of that will add up to outside the cylinder misfires against the porcelain and the, the nutshell uh, missing down by the wire. So, yeah, it's just it's, it's normal maintenance, man. It's cheaper to do the maintenance than replace the vehicle for sure. I will do that. I appreciate the excellent advice, Ron, and thanks again for all the help. Oh, you're very welcome, sir. Good luck to you, Bill. And, um, yeah, Bill's a longtime listener. We've been talking to him off and on. He's got a couple of Pontiacs, too. I guess the Grand Dam's, uh, the Grand Dam is okay at the present time. Let's get over to Jeff in La Crosse, Wisconsin, 99 Ford Explorer. Exploder? Explorer? Does it matter? Um, <laughs> sorry, Jeff, I'm only kidding. How can I help you, sir? Well, um, 
I guess the the biggest thing is that it's um well the last couple of months I just haven't been driving it because I I drive my other car and just I kind of use it for just kind of putts around out in the woods and all that. So uh, anyway, so as a result of not driving it, it appears that it's just not starting. It'll crank and uh, but I mean I'll put on the on the gas and just going get it going going on and just when it starts it's gonna think it's gonna start and I take my foot off the accelerator and stop it just just stops um, I'm just kind of wondering is there any any thoughts of the um, gas itself just kind of coagulating no, somewhat in I, the- I I think what you've got is infected spideritis. Um, uh, it's, it's a technical term. So let's let's do it like this. Let's let's if we can. Do you have a scan tool of some type, or do you have a way to get this scanned? Uh, well, auto the AutoZone store said if I could bring get it down there, they'd do a yeah, uh, they'd check it out. But because course, I, I, I'd like to see you scan it, all right? Because what I'm, what I'm what I'm gonna what I'm gonna tell you next is you probably have a spider's nest built into the mass airflow sensor. Here's the deal. All right. You have a barbecue in your back backyard. Yeah. You ever you ever see where the spiders build the little spider web inside the propane cylinders, and they they do you have any of those issues where you got to put the spider guards on the on the propane jet so that they don't build spider webs in there? Yeah, we just got a the old fashioned barbecue. Yeah, it'll it'll happen like that. It's, it's maybe maybe it's a New Jersey thing, but uh. you know we'll get we'll get spiders inside the barbecues, and it'll actually block the gas flow out to the jet, and it won't it won't ignite and we see it with cars too especially cars that have sat you know spiders or an animal or something some sort of debris in the mass airflow sensor blocking the air intake somehow and it becomes a conversation about uh you know take the mass airflow sensor off look inside what does it look like you know now in in some cases i've also seen where mass airflows on this particular model just go bad from sitting they just can because uh you know it's like you and me sitting in a chair each and every day even though we're not going anywhere, we're, we're aging by the minute, right? So, you know, things get a little older and eventually something pops, uh, whether it's our knee from trying to get up or whether it's the mass airflow sensor circuitry because it, it from sitting, corrosion, weather, an animal, who knows? Um, simplest thing, unplug the mass airflow sensor and try starting the car. A mass airflow? Yeah, right. This should have a mass. Which engine is this? Four liter single overhead cam, overhead valve. Which engine is this? Do you uh, know? Six liter. Six liter. Is is this six cylinder overhead? Overhead overhead what? Overhead cam, overhead valve. Mm. This is not a V eight, correct? Correct. Okay. I think it's like a six overhead. Right. This will this will have a this will have a mass airflow sensor. Mass airflow sensor. Google search it. Look it up on YouTube. Ninety nine Explorer mass airflow sensor location, and it's okay. going to be a three or five wire connection um, on the air intake duct. You know that plastic hose that leads into the throttle body. Do you know where that piece is? The air intake. Well, I can always find out. Yep. Oh, is that the one that's kind of like in the corner as you look at the engine? Yeah. From yep. outside, it's over in the left. Uh, yeah, like in the correct. Immediate left-hand side. Yeah, sure. Um, that okay. it sounds like you're describing mass air, and it leads up to the engine. It's a duct that leads up to the engine. Unplug that. Verify it first before you do it. But unplug that. Try starting the car. If the car runs, it's going to turn on the check engine light right away. All right. Well, that, there there is the. Um, I think the, there is a check light that's on, but it went on about oh gosh about five five six. Let's see, this is May. Uh, she's almost 
eight months ago. Oh, okay. So it had a, I mean, it had a fault code when you parked it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yep. Right. And, so. But you know, it always seemed to be running, you know, decent. You know, nothing to really notice or cause concern right. about. Well, here's, the, here's, here's your here's your concern. It is. Yeah. Here's your concern. Listen, you know why that check engine light came on? That check engine light came on because the vehicle exceeded federal emissions one and a half times and it created a fault. The fact that it kept running is because cars today are like rocket ships and airplanes. They have redundancy built into them that will allow them to continue to operate because the the belief system is that the operator, you, will get it into a mechanic and let them look at it. Um, Don't take it for granted, you or anybody else out there. Just because the car keeps running, don't ignore a dash warning light because it could be something really serious that in time will put you on the side of the road. Uh, you know, here's a case where, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm speaking to all, all of you out there, that it becomes very difficult to diagnose a vehicle without some form of a scan tool. I think that I think manufacturers should put scan tools into glove compartments. Uh, you know, it, it, instead of giving you fancy first aid kits like they do in some of the cars today, and I'm not knocking first aid. Everybody needs a generic scan tool, so at least they know what kind of code they're dealing with when they go and talk to the mechanic. I think it would be a big help. But take a look at the mass airflow sensor, see what that does for you, and then we can talk again if we have to. 855-560-9900. Ron and the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the car doctor. Let's get over to Mike on line two. Some comments about where would you buy a car from? Mike, welcome back to the car doctor, sir. Hey, Ron. How are you doing? Good, Good to sir. talk to you again. Yes, sir. Uh, just one quick comment about the last caller. You were talking about a, uh, a, a tool that might tell people what is the matter with their cars. Don't, don't some uh, vehicles already have a kind of an instrumentation built in that will give them error codes in their uh, instrument panels, or is that not? I'm not, aw- I'm not aware of any of the newer ones, Mike. It used to be on Chrysler, older cars. those guys used to have some. Chrysler used to have it. Cadillac used to have it where they would count out codes when it was just a two-digit code. They would count it out on the on the dashboard itself. You know, if something newer has it, it's yeah. something I'm not aware of, and it's something no one's ever brought up to me. I think I think now it's just, you know, let's count out, let's spell out a P0, you know, 155. It would take That'd too be long. kind of cool just to have a little information center oh, with right. a couple of basic codes. Um, the thing I, I was interested in talking to you about today would be um, many cars are made in a lot of different places. Now, a lot of people don't know that the General Motors makes a car over in Poland that they import here. Okay. And that's the Buick Cascada, the little convertible they make. Um, you know, that Volvo might be made in China or Belgium. Um, and my question to you is, do you think if people knew where their cars were built, would they buy them? based on today's climate? I know the answer, the correct answer is probably yes, but I've got to tell you, in my heart, I don't think so. I don't think, <laughs> I don't, I, I just don't. And you you won't like my answer, and it sounds a little harsh. I don't think, I don't think the critical thinking skills of, of much of the population is there to, they see the difference where it would really matter. No, I agree with you. I uh, agree with you. you know, I just, I just think that, it, you know, people would take a look around like, they look at the, the the focus, you know. They look at the focus. Some of those are built in China. They yep. got cars built down in Brazil, and uh, I don't think it's just as easy as saying, "Well, they can't 
they can't bring cars into the country and have everything built here because look at Hyundai and look at uh, some of the Korean manufacturers, Mercedes uh, and you know BMW. All of the foreign manufacturers have cars that are assembled in this country, and we know why because it's cheaper. They they don't use union labor. Well, now and and I'll try not and I'll try not to get too political here, Mike. What I think needs to happen is I think more manufacturing needs to be brought back here, and however it's done, and I don't want to get into the whole the union is expensive thing or the union has to be, that's not what I'm interested in. I'll I'll touch on it this way. You brought up Hyundai, and then I would think of Kia. A couple of months, maybe a year ago, Hyundai and Kia were having problems at their assembly plants getting parts here in time, and there was a part shortage on certain Hyundais and Kias. Uh, You know, dealing with a part shortage in Korea versus the United States, which one's easier to deal with. I think more manufacturing has to be brought back here at some level to ensure for national security's sake and transportation that we can keep cars rolling and moving because I think it's just that darn important. More so than where the car is made, I want to know whose scan tool I'm using because I want to fix it because sooner or later, it doesn't matter how new it is, sooner or later it's going to break and somebody's going to have to fix it and that's really what I think about. Mike, I love your comments and your insight. Keep them coming. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Danny, The Car Doctor. Let's get over to Dave and Iowa with some comments about new cars. Dave, you're on with The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, Jim, I wanted to share. we got about a minute. Yes, uh, yeah. Okay, great. I wanted to share a concept with you that I've had. Uh, I took a little test the other day on the Internet. My wife gave me a, an IQ test. I come out with 167. I think she made a mistake. But uh, anyway, the concept I had was, you know, these flying cars, okay? Say we got one of those, and then we have a highway that has a, uh, a uh, uh, energy field like a I don't know, like a telephone line, you know, or an electric line underneath. And the uh, flying cars get on top of that. And, uh, of course, the energy comes from the windmills, okay, just huge windmills. And it goes into the highway. And uh, you get your car, your little air car, and you set it on that line. And then uh, you can control it to where you can take it where you want it, where you can exit when you want where you want, and their safety devices so that they don't run into each other, and uh, so on and so forth like that. The problem becomes, as I see it, what will happen, how will we fabricate and manufacture and support? And, I mean, Dave, great comments, great concept. I get it. But we're having a problem right now just putting singular driverless cars out on the road, uh, getting people to accept it, funding it, and making it in a strong enough spot where, frankly, the government or the economy can afford it. So, But um, interesting ideas, buddy. And, yeah, I think your wife is right. I think your IQ is that high. This is a quick piece of email before we go on. Thanks for the call, Dave. I appreciate it. Um, let's go out real quick for Walt in Hawaii. We've talked to Walt a couple of times in the last few weeks. I think he's finally on the track to getting his Corvette done. Hey, Ron, I'm looking for a good new ignition spark tester under $50. Well, Walt, I didn't think I, w- I didn't think you'd wanted a, a bad old ignition spark tester, but a good <laughs> ignition spark tester under fifty bucks. Can you make a recommendation, Walt from Hawaii? Sure, Walt from Hawaii. He won't bring me out there to do a remote and uh, let me sit on the beach like I'm deserving of. Um, get over to a local O'Reilly Auto Parts, okay, and tell them you want to take a look at part number five zero eight five zero. It's a spark tester. It's a black piece of plastic with a screw thread that you can adjust the gap to any size you want. It works really well. They're cheap, all right? 
And if you don't like that, you can take a look at anything else that the folks over at O'Reilly Auto Parts will have. But it's O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get out and look at a 50850, and that uh, that should do it for you. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, because this does it for us. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.